hopefully um, one of these days we'll probably get back to chapter 5 as the Lord leads. But I, I believe that um, this is where God would want us to be this morning. And um, it's very important what is happening in this chapter 8 of Nehemiah. We're going to look into it and see what God wants to, to talk to us about. So it's about reconstructing our lives. You know, we have been saying that coming out of the pandemic, so many things have changed. You, you would see even in our, in, our, in our educational institutions, all the turmoil that is going on um, in our nation. Accidents, almost everything is on an increase in Jamaica, um, including the price of gas. You know what I'm saying? Every, I mean, everything is increasing. Um, you would say not for the, the better, but for the worse, because what seemed to be happening you know, there's almost a sense like there is less effect of the church being felt in the population generally. And, and many people see that, but want you to know that God is not dead. He's alive. And even when you don't see it, he's still working. So God is still doing a great work. God's great work is not confined to the natural eyes of mankind. And what fools us many times is that when we don't see tangible Things we think that God is not operating, but He never slumbers and He never sleeps. So, God is doing something, amen. He's always up to something good. So, this morning we want to uh, the, the title for the sermon is It's Not About the Walls, it's not about the, the, the exterior wall, it's not about how beautiful the completion of the project of reconstructing look. It's not how beautiful the exterior of our lives look. It is how pure the inner parts of our hearts are. It's not what the outside of the wall look like. It's what, the, what happened on the inside of the wall that makes a difference. And so you can build the best life and then if you... Inside your life or the inner part of your life is all bad and all wrong and all broken down, then, then it doesn't make any sense. You have wasted a lot of effort in building something for the eyes of men, satisfying to the eyes of men, but yet dissatisfying to God. Because men look at the outward appearance, but scripture teaches us that God looks at the, the heart. And so we're going to see from this chapter... That the wall was not the main thing. Though a lot of effort was put on the wall, the wall was not the main thing. What happened inside the walls was the main thing. So we are at chapter 8, and as usual, we stand for the reading of the word. And I know you are going to say, Pastor, but look how much time we stand up this morning. Do we have to stand again? Well, guess what? Well, if you just stand with me now, then I will get you to sit down and I'll stand for the rest of the service. How does that sound? Do we have a deal? All right. So if we have a deal, I'm going to ask you to stand with me for the reading of God's word. As usual, there are many complicated names in this. For the purpose of um, mispronunciation, I will only read up to the portion where I don't have to pronounce any names. After that, you can, um, you can read it by yourself. Amen. Come on, just lift your Bibles up and declare with me that this is God's word. Come on, say this is God's word, not Pastor Omar's word. I am what it says I am. I can do what it says I can do. I can be what it says I can be. And I will have what it says I can have. Today, I will hear the word of God. I boldly declare that my mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are opened. And I better not go to sleep. I will never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Remain standing. Let me read a couple of verses for you. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their town, all the people assembled with a united purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. 
So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and the women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square, just inside the water gate from early morning until noon, and read aloud to everyone who could understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra described stood on a high wooden platform that had been made for the occasion. To his right stood, here ended a reading. A portion of God's holy word. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's come on. Let's pray. We will we'll, we'll skip the names when we are ready and get down to the other portions in the text. But Heavenly Father, we thank you and we bless you. How glorious you are, how mighty you are. God, you, are, you love us so much. It's unbelievable how a perfect, undefiled, unblemished God would love us. Imperfect people. We stop this morning to say just thank you Lord for loving us so much. We have come this morning to hear your word. We say speak Lord for we your servant hear you. And when we hear you we'll be diligent to obey and do that which you command. Speak to every heart, every mind, every person in the name of Jesus. Remove every distraction let there be no confusion, but let everything be cleared, and let everything the Spirit says this morning be heard in the name of Jesus. Let your will be done, and your kingdom come in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Now, if we, before we, we, we begin in, in, in chapter 8, let's go back to chapter 6. Because in chapter 6, verse 15, the scripture said, So the wall was finished in the 25th day of the month of El- Elul. In the 50 and, two, in 50 and 2 days. So the wall was completed in 52 days. From in chapter 6, we hear that. So when we get to chapter 8, we know that now the wall is completed and now activities begin on the inside of the walls. So if we have been talking about rebuilding our lives, it is saying that, well, our lives are now rebuilt and what is important is what happens on the inside of our lives. So let's put it in our context, right? In fact, chapter 7 tells us how the people got organized. This is at the completion of the wall. The people got organized, housed, and they were fed. And they all got involved in a big love offering. They had this big love offering. We're going to get into that, that they collected. From the least to the greatest to jump, start their new spiritual life in their new city with their new walls. So they were about to start a new spiritual journey after the completion of the wall. So they collected this big offering and keep big festivity. We're going to get into that. So the wall is finished, but the work had just begun. And God's real purpose for the wall is just beginning. So the completion of the wall was the beginning of the work. Because there's a greater thing to do. Alright? So now... One of the things I want us to do is to thank God that his people in Jerusalem did not have what I call a monument mentality. They didn't see building the wall as the ultimate goal. Too often the focus of our lives is on the external stuff. And when the external stuff are in place, we feel accomplished. I have the house now. I'm married now. I have the car now. I have the degree now. Well, I've arrived. I'm there. I've worked hard. I've Yes, yes. I'm the pastor now. And so we believe that that is the end when really it is the beginning. So where we stop is where God begins. Because the physical portion was done, now the spiritual work started. Isn't that a common thing with us? When we get the material things, we believe we have done it. 
God says, now that you have the material things, it has only just begun. The real stuff begins now. You see, the people understood that what went on inside the walls was really what mattered. What will now happen inside was the reason the walls were built in the first place. The reason why God has reconstructed our lives is not so that we look good on the outside, but we live good on the inside. The emphasis is on the internal. Once the wall was finished, the people began to worship. And the moment they began to worship, they had revival. Because where there is true worship, there is true revival. Worship always ushers in revival. What is revival? Revival, whenever you see the word re, is where you get like restoration, repentance. It is going back to. So it is, revival is restoring life to something. It's restoring. It is bringing it back from where it has fallen. So it has fallen, so now we need to bring it back to something new, something better. You're reviving it. Making sense? So, if you want that in your life, it comes through worship. So when the people worship, they had revival. They had an old-fashioned, what I call, heaven sent. It was sin erasing, it was devil chasing, it was window shaking, and it was a soul-saving revival. Things changed because now the wall was completed, but not only that. The people started worshipping God because they realized that the purpose of having the outside done is so that they could worship on the inside. But not only that, the revival was based on the word of God. So it's not about the walls, it's about the word and the worship that goes on inside our lives. The reason why God is restoring us so that we can spend time in his word and time in worship. That we can live a life centered around God's word and worship God. The whole purpose of man is to serve God, is to worship God. God has saved us so we can worship him. And we can be obedient to his undiluted, unchanging word. So what were the elements of the worship that led to revival? In your notes, the first thing that happened is that this revival that started, it was rooted in a hunger for the word. If you're going to offer real worship that leads to real revival, you're going to have to have a real hunger for the word of God. Now, if I ask you this morning, are you hungry for the word? Everybody's going to say yes, because that's the right answer in church. But are you really hungry for the word of God? Do you have a deep, undying hunger for the word of God? In fact, if you go to verse 1, here's what it says. So the walls are done. You, you think like the people say, okay, ah, oh boy. Oh, it's time to sleep now. Yes, let's live in our houses. Let's enjoy stuff. No, here's what happened. In October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, so everything was good, all the people assembled with a united purpose at the square just inside the water gate. Remember the water gate? We said this in our message a couple of weeks ago. The water gate represents the word of God. So they gathered at the water gate and they asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. In other words, the people said, now that the wall is finished, we need the word. We need to hear the word. The first thing they asked for was not a new TV, was not a better bed. They didn't ask for a better husband. They didn't ask for a better wife. They said the first thing we want is God's word. Bring it to us. This happened at the water gate. The water gate is a symbol of the word. The people gathered there in great numbers because they were hungry for the word. So let me ask you again. Are you hungry for the word of God? Is that why you have gathered here today? Are you hungry for God's word? 
Do you want it more than you want physical food? There's a story about this little boy who brought his father the family Bible. And he brought it from the coffee table. And he says, what is this daddy? Father said, it is the Bible. It is God's book. The little boy said, then should we give it back to him? Since we don't use it? Right? I mean, I hope that's not you. But, but many of us, we don't have a, a desire for the word. We are not hungry for the word. So, so we, we, we don't read it. We don't, we don't check into it. We don't, we don't eat from it every day. We don't. I, I have a problem, right? I, I, I like coffee. Like, I'm not addicted. I just drink it every day. But it's not an addiction. I can't stop. But I just don't. I'm not addicted, but I just love a cup of coffee. I made that very clear, a cup of coffee. But the thing with me and coffee is that when I have coffee, I think I'm full. Right? So I will drink a cup of coffee in the morning, and I will go through the entire day and not have anything else. And here's what happened. I think I'm full, but I'm really hungry. So late in the evenings, I'll start feeling some very strange pains in some very strange places. And I begin to wonder, well, nobody didn't hit me. Like sometimes it always comes up on my left side. Right below where they say the heart is supposed to be. And I begin to wonder, oh my God, is this a stroke? I mean, what's going on, man? This is too close to my heart. Right? And, and always feel this pain because, and here's what happened. And, and people will say to me, no, go and drink something warm because it is G-A-S. But here's the thing. There are things in our life that act like coffee. They make us feel like we're full when we're really hungry. So we don't go and eat food. There are things in our lives that make us feel like we're full. So we don't go into God's word. We are full of gas, not the word. And it's unhealthy. Because it causes pain. When you don't feast on God's word, it's going to cause pain. What is? So let me ask, how about your Bible? Does it collect dust on a table or shelf? Do you need to even take it home? Or could it just stay in your seat here at church all week? Listen, I know persons who, I mean, after two weeks, we said, hey, we saw your Bible at church. They said, really? That's where it is? Oh, well, I'll pick it up next week Sunday. <laughs> That's after two weeks. They didn't even know that they didn't have their Bibles. Can you imagine? Has that ever happened to you? You didn't even know that your Bible was left somewhere. I'm very sure that would happen with your cell phone. But the Bible? Oh, we forget it sometimes. We are not hungry for the Word. So I hope you are hungry because... We have a feast set before us. And it would be a shame not to clean our plates. In fact, the psalmist says in Psalm 19, 9 to 10, he says, The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Then he goes on into verse 10. I wish that we could see this on the overhead. In verse 10 he says, More to be desired are they than gold. Yea, than fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Right? So here you go. They are more desirable than gold. Even the finest gold. Now, this morning we couldn't figure this out. I mean, and anybody, anybody here knows fine gold? What, what is fine gold? I don't know. Anybody have a piece of fine gold? In, in here, we're not going to take it. We just need to know. Like, like, we need to know what fine gold is. Like, like we know gold. And people say the highest, the highest bar of gold is 24 carats. Right? There's no, they said there's no higher level. I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I'm not a gold person, right? So 24 carats, right? 
I don't think 24 carats is fine gold. You know what I think fine gold is? Because you know those gold bars when they, you watch these movies and you see like the Swiss banks and those things and they have these gold bars? Yeah, that look like real gold. They have a different look. They are shiny and they look heavy. Right? I was told this morning that one of those bars value around 50 million. I thought that was Jamaican money. That's US. Are you serious? I want to know. I can't... Is it true? Anybody knows? If you, you can just say yes. Like, like that to me is fine gold that some of you need to F-I-N-D. <laughs> but, but, but that's fine gold, right? The psalmist says, listen, Lord, I desire your word more than that. Then he says, listen, your words are sweeter than honey. Now, honey is sweet. But man, when, when, if you, have you ever had a honeycomb? It's, it's, a different, it's a different thing. The honey is sweet, but, 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 but the honeycomb, man, it's, it's different. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. It's just, it's just a different kind of sweet. It's a kind of sweet that, man, it makes you feel bad after, because it is, it is, it's too sweet. Psalmist says, listen, as sweet as that is, I desire your word more than that. What does all of that mean? You see, we are not going to have revival because of election victories. We are only going to see revival when God's people want the word of God more than they want money, more than they want prosperity, more than they want education, more than they want health care. That's when we will see revival. When we say, God, I want your word. I hunger for your word. Job says it this way. Um, in Job 23, 12, the scripture says, I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. I have esteemed the words of his mouth more than my necessary food. What is your necessary food? Three meals a day. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. All right, a slice of bread, a cup of tea. All right, and some rice and some chicken. And at night time, a little soup, three meals a day. All right, David says, listen, not seeing it, right? He says this, listen, Job, I have esteemed thy words, the words of his mouth, more than my necessary food. In other words, God, more than the physical food, the natural food that I eat, I want your word. I will substitute what's natural for what's spiritual. That's the kind of hunger that those in the scripture have. Do we have that kind of hunger for God's word today that we would skip our natural food so we can feast on the spiritual word of God? That's what the people were saying in Nehemiah's time. You see, I told you that I'm addicted. I'm addicted. I'm addicted to food. I'm addicted to food. You are addicted to food. You just don't know it. But I know the 12 steps. And the first rule in the 12 step celebrate recovery is to admit. I am an addict to food. I know you're not going to admit it, but I'm going to convince you. Let me know why. Let me tell you why I know that we are all addicted to food. Just fast from food for 24 hours and you'll know how addicted you are to food. Try it. You know why probably some of you have not fasted? Because you're addicted. In just a few hours, you'll find yourself looking and longing at that fridge. Saying, remember what we used to have together. Remember when I would throw open your door and indulge in anything I wanted. Oh, my love, we can have it all again. You and me. You see, we have a love affair with our refrigerators. And we cheat on it many times with many restaurants. But abstinence is not the choice we make, at least for a long time. We have an addiction for physical food. And the truth is that addiction should be transferred to the word of God. If we really want to see revival. You see, most of us can't go seven hours without eating. But we can go seven days 
without partaking from the word of God. And I believe that something is wrong with that. You see, we feed the flesh bountifully, but we don't feed our spirits properly. That's what we do. We feed our flesh. In, in fact, I mean, listen, it's a good thing to say, uh, I had some of my friends in here this morning, so I could say that they are well fed. I don't know if you are my friends. I don't want to say you are well fed. And then you stone me. But um, yeah, brother Wade is well fed. Well fed. I, I am well. I have become well fed. I'm telling you, I wasn't always well fed. But since the pandemic, I, I, I've become well fed. Amen, brother Glenn Roy. Well fed. It's kind of funny, right? Let me help you. Uh, we look at people and say, wow, um, well fed. We look at them on physical and we say, wow, healthy and strong. You know what is funny? We don't say the same thing to people who are underfed. It's an embarrassment to walk up to somebody and say to them, you're underfed. It's like you're being very disrespectful because it is suggesting that you're suggesting that they are fenke fenke, amaga and malnourished. But to say they are well fed, you're really saying, hey, you're big, strong, and healthy. Right? That, that's how the term is used. What happened many times is that it's the same thing in the spirit. We ought to be well fed spiritually. Because to be underfed spiritually is an embarrassment. You are spiritually malnourished. You are spiritually, the Jamaican term, Fenke, fenke, are maga. Skinny. In other words, people don't think you have the physical ability to do anything that requires a lot of strength because they don't think you're properly fed. In a spiritual sense, it is the same thing. When you're not properly fed in the word of God to be healthy enough, there is a perception that you don't have enough spiritual strength to take on the things that God has called you to take on. Have to be fed in the word. So no wonder our flesh grows and our spirit shrinks up against our spine. In fact, there is this quote, it says this, These has God married and no man shall part. Dust on the Bible and drought in the heart. If your Bible is dusty, your heart is droughty. If your Bible is not being read, your heart going to be dry. We have to live in God's word. Psalm 119.162 says, I rejoice at thy word as one that findeth great spoil. So when, when, when the psalmist entered God's word, there was a great rejoicing because he said, Oh my God, I have discovered some treasure. That's the joy that he had in God's word. That hidden treasure. David said, I go on a daily treasure hunt. And it's not hard to find gold nuggets in, the, in this book. We may call it hidden treasure, but it's hidden right under our noses. You see, Nehemiah's people were hungry for the word more than food. They were hungry for the word more than gold. They were hungry for the word more than treasure. And I want you to keep in mind that they didn't have, they didn't all have copies of the word during this time. They didn't have a Bible bookstore on the corner. Most of them only heard the word when someone would stand and read it publicly. What they had was a hunger. They didn't have their own copies, but they longed to hear. You see, we have many copies today and seem content to go about our lives without cracking it open on our own. I don't understand this church, and I'm guilty of it, that we have more Bibles now, but we read the Bible less. We know less of the Bible, though we have more of the Bible. In fact, people will download the app on their phones, Make their phones slower and don't use the Bible up. Listen, they will say to you, can you buy me one of those nice sturdy Bibles for my birthday? And you go and you buy them up and you ask them, oh, so how Bible going? Well, uh, I haven't been able to read it for a while now, but I'm getting there. Listen, I've seen people repackage their gift as Bible and give to other people because they have not been able to read it yet. 
This is our food. Here it is that these people were so hungry for it, though they didn't have it. They couldn't go and buy it. But wherever it was being read, they turned up and listened. Secondly, it was marked by the hearing of the word. Verse 2 to 4 of our text says that, So on October 8th, Ezra the priest brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men, women, and all the children, old enough to understand. He faced the square inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who would understand. All the people listened closely to the book of the law. You see, they were not time conscious. The people were not thinking about lunch. They were not there saying, oh my God, I, 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 thought, I thought church would be finished by now because, you know, me need to go home, go cook me rice and peas. And me didn't know, see, I said, I'm going to leave me, but I come now, we're coming here. But we have long church here. Right, right, right. Listen, they were not time conscious. They weren't like, uh, in fact, they never had watches. They used to watch the sun to tell what time it is. Watch this. They were not time conscious thinking about lunch. In fact, if you read the scripture, the people stood up from morning to up to noon. Five to six hours, day after day. The people were not time conscious. The people stood up in the square for the Bible to be read so they could hear it. Let me say that again. The people stood up in the square for five to six hours. Not conscious of time, so that the Bible could be read, so they would hear it. We have ACs and fans and windows, and we sit in church, and we just have it all going on. We have a timer up there that is saying we need to get out of here very soon. These people were standing in the great outdoors. For hours listening to the word of God. That's why they had revival. You see, we won't have real revival until we get our clock get over our clock watching. Tell the person beside you, stop watching the clock. Come on, come on, you need to tell me. I said, listen, I'm serious. Stop watching the clock. This is good, this is good, this is good. This is good, right? Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you for helping me because I did plan on doing four hours today. So thank you for, for helping me. Amen. Right? I don't want you to misunderstand me. I don't think the service should drag on unnecessarily. But we shouldn't rush it or quench the spirit of God. That's what I'm talking about. We, we're not trying to just drag out the service. But we shouldn't Quench the spirit of God. So we need to be sensitive to the Lord's leading as well as to the attention span of people. Now today, uh, when I started ministry, I was told that the average human being can last 40 minutes. That has changed to around 20. After 20 minutes, the average human being is whooshed out of here mentally. You have to bring them back in. So just touch a person beside and come back. 20 minutes has gone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to get their attention. They're gone. But, but the point is the people need to grow in their attention span, especially when God offers us such a feast. In other words, there are times when God is doing something. You can't just break it. And I mean, I'm talking about even in your devotions. If you're going through a time of devotion and God is revealing stuff to you in the scripture, don't say, all right, you know what, man? I need, I need to leave right now. I need to go. Uh, let me take a break. And then when I come back home, I just catch up where I left off. God don't work like that. When God is moving, you have to stay with the move. Because God ain't pausing to wait until you come back. And that's what we do. It's like you go to this very fine restaurant. And, and I mean, you're eating and the food is all good. And you say to them, oh my God, I'm going to leave half the food. And then I'm going to come back next week to finish up. Listen, here's what I'm going to tell you. It don't work like that. Because every time they offer you food, it ought to be fresh food. The reason why it's 
it tastes so good is because it's fresh. If you have to leave it to come back to it, it loses its freshness. Amen? So when we are in that time and God is working and God is moving, don't, don't, don't step away. Wait and let God do his work. And when God is finished his work, then you move on. But I am thankful for a church that is attentive. It's one of those compliments that I get from guest speakers who come here. I really, I can't, listen, I, I personally, I, I don't get complaints of going on too long. You know what, I take that back. But, but I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Right, but, but I, I mean, I, I, I don't hear people, <coughs> no, no, it don't happen. Because we are in God's house. We are in God's house. Amen? I try not to be long or to take advantage of your time. But I prefer to get finished before you get finished. I, I want to make sure that I f- God just finish in me what you want the people to get before the people get finished. Because if the people get finished, man, they, they, are, they are checked out. I mean, the rice and peas is calling. The, 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 the beach is calling. I mean, the, 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 the football game is calling. The NBA is calling. Something is calling for the people's attention. You see, we have too many things in our lives right now. Back in the days, those people, they never had to worry about what was left in the pressure cooker. They didn't have to worry about, listen, they had one attire, all of them. A robe and sandals. Alright? Ain't no lot of washing going on. You don't have to worry about washing machine, no electricity, no water commission. You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about, no, it's under, listen, you're in a tent. On the ground. You ain't have no need to be um, vacuuming and cleaning the mats and cleaning the rugs. You have no need to go and clean bathroom and wash dishes and all of those things. Listen, we have too much going on. So our attention is all over the place. So our atten- things are always begging for our attention. And so we have so much things to do, we have no time for nothing. For anything. So my goal is to leave you wanting more. So when we do want more, and the Lord leads us to continue, we should do so. The second part of the adversary says, um, speaks about how the people listen closely. Right? In other, in other words, they were very attentive. So ask this, why waste your time coming to church if you're not going to listen? Not to the pastor, but to what God is saying. Church is a place not just to pass time, but it's a place to show reverence to God's word. You need to be attentive. Thirdly, it was marked by an honor for the word of God. The people honored the word of God. Verse 5 and 6 says, in verse 5 and 6 of the text, it says, Ezra stood on the platform in full view of all the people. When they saw him open the book, they rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen! Amen! As they lifted their hands, they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So there it is. They said, Amen! Do you? When you say Amen, you honor the word of God. And you help the pastor. You help the preacher. You know, because that, that preacher is saying, hallelujah, they're enjoying this. And they feel like, yes, I can go on. But you can't do that for every preacher because they won't stop. You understand what I mean? But, 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 but listen, the scripture said that when the people heard the word, they rose to their feet and said, amen, amen, amen. They praised the great God. And they chanted amen and they lifted their hands. So when the people heard, listen, not a sermon, but they heard the word of God being read. They rose to their feet and they lifted their hands and they said, Amen, Amen, glory to the great God. That that, that was your cue. I was trying to get you. I said it three times, hoping you would get the cue. So when the people heard the word, the people rose to their feet and said, Amen! Amen! Woo! 
Thank you. Thank you. That's, that's what the Bible says. I'm wondering what, like, what's going on. You must be attentive. Amen. Because that's what the scripture said. When people hear God's word, that's what they do. When, when, when you get a conviction, when you get a confirmation from God's word, you rise to your feet and you shout, Amen. The church has got, listen, even when God confirms something concerning our lives, we keep silent. We are afraid to say, we are, we are afraid to say, so let it be. We are afraid to clap our hands and give glory to God at the confirmation of his word. Come on. The, these people were so, the walls were just built and something happened. Somebody heard something about their sin. Somebody heard something about their purpose. And when they heard that, they rose to their feet and they said, glory to God. Amen. Amen. And they glorified him. They lifted their hands. Do you? If not, why not? Is it because you don't want to be associated with some holy rollers? You understand me? Ah, no. Don't want, uh, listen, I don't want you guys to think I'm not like that, you know. I, I can't understand that. But you don't want to be associated with God in the way the Bible says. I suggest if you want to differentiate yourself from those, then you don't have to do it the way they do it. But let's not let the devil... Steal this from us. Don't quench the spirit if you feel it. You are in the church and God confirms something. Don't quench the spirit. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Shout unto God with a voice of triumph. I know some of you will say, well, it's easy for people to get carried away. And maybe that is true. But here's one thing I know. It is easier to cool down a zealot than to warm up a corpse. Listen, I'd, work, I'd rather work with somebody who's overly excited than a dead man. It's harder to resurrect the, de- to resurrect the dead than it is to cool down somebody who's too hot. I'd rather you be too hot and we have to cool you down than for you to be dead and we have to raise you up. So when you come to church, let it, the pastor is saying, be hot. Be, be hot. We, we can work. We can handle that. What we can handle is dead. Amen? Come on, tell the person beside you. Don't be dead beside me. <laughs> Come on, just so, so listen, get some excitement going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, if you, that's why I don't work in a morgue. Because you spend time with the dead. Hallelujah. The greatest danger we face in not becoming a bunch of fanatics is being so cold and indifferent that we can't get excited about the word of God. So the Bible says in many places for us to lift our, our holy hands to him. Is he worth the effort of that? Is he worth the effort of an amen? You see, if you're not comfortable with that atmosphere, you might not like heaven because people are going to be lifting hands and shouting and singing, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Glory to God in the highest. Don't get me wrong. We shouldn't come to church to put on a show. I'm not saying you should come here and just lift up your hands and run up and down and, and because you want people to see you. He is the audience of one. So we are not here to take the spotlight on us. We are here to shine the light on him. And so when we come to church in all that we are doing, if the attention shifts to you, something is wrong. Because the attention in church must always be on Jesus. Amen? So we come to church not to put on a show. In other words, don't intentionally tip your cup over. But if it runs over, let it run over. I, I, know I know that things are to be done decently and in order. But the Bible is pretty clear. That God don't, doesn't expect us to sit with faces of stone. Is he worth the effort of an amen? If you look at the end of the verse. The end of the verse, verse 6 says... Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with faces to the ground. Is he worth the effort of coming toward, coming forward and bowing our faces to the ground at the old-fashioned altar? God wants us to express ourselves in honor of his word. 
Fourthly, it was marked by their handling of the word. If you go to verse 7 and 8, it teaches that it isn't enough to just read the word. Someone needs to explain it. And that explanation is what we call preaching. You see, we don't just need people to stand and give a talk. We need the preaching of the truth of the word. It doesn't matter how brilliant the minister is, how clever the outline is, or how touching the poem that may be. If it is not rooted in the Bible, if it is not exposing the power of the word, it is worthless. You see, it is not with eloquence that conviction is brought. It is when we stick to the word of God and are led by the Holy Spirit of God. See, I'm not trying to be the best communicator. I'm just preaching the word of God. And then he will do the rest. You see, I'm not impressed by preachers who stand and read one verse and then say, look at me, and give a talk without going back to the word at all. Because the question is, do they think what they have to say is more important than what God has to say? Scripture must be the basis of our teachings. And what we say must be substantiated and validated by the written word of God. See, Bible preaching is taking the word... It is explaining it, illustrating it, and applying it to everyday life. I, I used to go to church. And when people would ask me, so what happened at church today? I couldn't tell them one thing I could apply. Sometimes I couldn't even understand the sermon. At the end of every sermon, every person who listens must take one thing that they can apply to their lives. It is how to. When Jesus taught, he always gave the people how to instructions. In other words, what are you going to do about what you have heard? And proper teaching is when people give you applicable step to change your life, to change the relationships. And to make your relationship with God better. So if you walk out and, and all you remember is the theology. Without the application of it. Then it becomes pointless. Amen. It must be applicable to everyday life. So there is a famine in the land for that kind of preaching. That's the kind of preaching that builds Christians. And that is what I believe build great churches. And it keeps it simple. Because you shouldn't have to have a PhD to understand the preacher. Nothing is wrong with having a PhD. But if at the end of it, listen, you don't understand what the person is saying, it doesn't make any sense. And the mysteries of the word are revealed to babes and those who come to Christ like a little child anyways. So here's the thing. I always ask my kids when they come into church, they don't do it very often because they prefer children's church. I don't know why, but they prefer to go to children's church than to hear their father preach. Like thinking, I need you to be my little cheerleaders. Yes, I mean, come inside. And I said, no, daddy, we want children's church because it is fun. <laughs> I'm thinking like, so my preaching ain't no fun. Yeah, that, that much I know. <laughs> right? But listen, my sons need to be able to take what I preach and share it with their friends. Or else I'm not doing a good job. If my sons can't understand me, I'm not doing a good job. The gospel is really simple. Easy so anyone can understand it. So when you hear one of these high-talking professors preach, don't fool yourselves. Just because a river is muddy doesn't mean it's deep. In, 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 in the same chapter 8, 7b, at the end of it, it says, then instructed the people in the law while everyone remained in their places. So what's happening there in their places? That is talking about Bible study and small groups and those things. Right? So they had 13 men, if you look at chapter 7, 13 men. And, and the Levites, there were leaders who explained the word more, even one-on-one -on -one as needed. That's real discipleship. So what happened is that when Ezra read and they gave interpretation and application, they had some other people among them who would meet with the people in some smaller groups. 
even one-on-one, and what they did is further explain what Ezra did in the big setting. Making sense? That's what Jesus Christ did. You remember the story of Jesus when he did the whole parable with the sow and the seed? But when he met with his disciples, he kind of broke it down a little bit more for the disciples. You know that, right? That is the idea of church. Church ought to be, when you come here and you hear this, what is said here must be broken down to you in smaller sizes, in small groups and Bible study, because everything will not be explained in the service because of time. That is why Sunday morning is not enough. Sunday morning is like the rice, and Wednesday is the peas, and Thursday is the chicken. So if you get the rice alone, you're missing the peas without the chicken, and it's not going to taste good. See what I mean? So we need it. That is what was happening. The people had people who were explaining it to them, breaking it down so they could understand it. That is why... uh, you know, alright, so in Jamaica, the Adventist church, they have the longest services. Alright? Here's what they do. They go to church early Saturday morning. And they have church. After church, they have Bible study of what was done in big church. That goes up until in the evening, and they bring like food and all of those things and sit down and eat. In, in some of the that the New Testament churches and the church of God, they do it reverse. You come to Bible study first, and then after Bible study, you go into the church service. Amen? And other churches do it too, right? So they do that. So those churches, one service is like six hours. And the people love it. Here, one service is less than two hours. And the people complain. Too long. Too, too long. <laughs> Some of you write here and say, Pastor, it is true, it is too long, Pastor. But, <laughs> but, but, but the idea is that there needs to be a further diving into God's Word. Alright? So we, the, the clock has ended. So what I'm telling you about the church needs to end. But because you told me that you're not time conscious, I'm going to go on. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't get you this one. But finally, brethren. Hallelujah. And you know, I say finally, like how Paul said it early in his letters. And then you find five chapters after that. So finally, brethren, um, it was marked by their heeding of the word. Verse 9 to 12 tells us about Tirshatha, or the governor, who was Nehemiah. Right? That is speaking about a transformation that took place. Because the goal of Bible preaching is life transformation. Bible teaching and preaching is about transforming lives from the inside out. But it's not hearing the word that transforms life. Hearing the word won't transform you. It's not understanding the word that transforms you. It is obeying the word that transforms life. It's called heeding or giving heed to the word of God. Until you start obeying God's word, your life will not be transformed. You can read it and understand it. But if you don't apply it in obedience, it's not going to transform you. Listen, the word that you really believe is the word that you really practice. Is the word that you really obey. That's why the scripture says, Be he doers of the word and not hearers only. So it's not about the world, people. It's about the word. And it's about worship. And so these people, their transformation began with weeping. When they heard the word of God, the people wept. In, 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 chapter, in, in verse 9, it speaks about how they were weeping. But what were they weeping over? 
They were weeping over their sin and their separation from God. These people were coming back from exile. And they had not had an event like this where the walls were being rebuilt, have been rebuilt, and now they are hearing God's word. And as they heard the word, great conviction came upon them. The people started crying. They were saying like, oh my God, oh I have sinned, oh my Lord. I didn't even know that that was sin. I, I was practicing, practicing that. Oh, I have sinned, I have sinned. And they felt like, oh my God, my sin has separated me from my God. I have sinned. That's what the people felt. They felt a sense of conviction. In the moment when they felt that conviction because of the sin, having now been exposed to the word of God, the enemy turns up and started to bring in guilt. Listen, I want to understand this, right? I don't want to go ahead of myself, but conviction is good. Conviction is of the Lord. But God don't want you to walk in guilt. The enemy takes conviction and tries to turn conviction into guilt. So here's what happened. Jeez, this is good, right? In, in, in verse 10, Nehemiah and Ezra had to speak to the people because they realized that the conviction was turning into guilt. Look at it, right? Verse, verse 9. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe and the Levites who were interpreting for the people said to them, Don't mourn or weep on such a day as this. For today is a sacred day before the Lord your God. For the people had all been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah continued. And go, Nehemiah continued. And Nehemiah continued. Go and celebrate with a feast of rich foods and sweet drink. And share gifts of food with people. Also, who have nothing prepared. This is a sacred day before our Lord. Then he says, don't be dejected and sad. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah realized that the conviction was turning into guilt. He said to people, don't be dejected. For the Lord, your God, he is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Because transformation brings weeping. But transformation also brings joy. So Nehemiah and Ezra had wisdom and stepped in to encourage the weeping. That there was hope and help in the Lord. See the devil wants to turn conviction into guilt. The devil wants to bring you down. He wants to keep you down. But the spirit of God wants to bring you down. In order to lift you higher than ever. You see, and that is why preaching at first may be mad. I know sometimes you come to church and maybe you go to some church and the pastor make you mad because him, him talk your business and him get inside your life and him, you know, are you in my talk? And you know, if, if you just know you wouldn't bother just come to church today, you get mad. And then after you get mad, preaching sometimes it make you get sad. What am I subjecting myself to? But that is necessary so that the Lord can make you glad. Sometimes we need to be made mad and made sad so God can bring gladness. He gives us the oil of gladness for our mourning. For there is nothing sweeter to us than the joy of the Lord. And there is nothing more appealing to the world than to enter a church where the joy of the Lord is evident. Finally, the transformation led to obedience. The people restored the feast of tabernacles of booth. They had a big celebration. They had a revival. Because mourning led to joy, which led to obedience, which led to revival. Mourning led to joy. Joy led to obedience and obedience led to revival it was never about the walls it was about God's word and about worshipping God see a man bought his wife a nice new car and he told his wife that if she was ever in an accident he put the insurance info in the glove compartment well she had an accident and she was terrified to tell him she had wrecked the new car he bought her. 
she was shaking and she was flustered. She remembered to look in the glove compartment of the car and as she opened the insurance binder, a note fell out. It was from her husband. It said, if you are reading this, it's probably because you wrecked the car. It says, I am just glad you are doing well enough to read. I want you to remember, it's just a car. And you are all that is important. The car wasn't important. It was who is in the car. The walls aren't important. It's what is done inside the walls that matter. Maybe you're still reconstructing. But don't be so focused on building the external walls that you forget God's word and worship. Just bow your heads with me. Let me pray with you as we close this morning. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We thank you for your word that is living and powerful. Our prayer today is that God, you'd give us a hunger for your word. Give us a deeper desire for your word. For the scriptures. To live in them. To feast in them like daily food. Let them be more to us than fine gold. More to us than honey. Let your word be more to us than necessary food. Come on, just, just right where you are. Just so you, you, you just ask the Lord, Lord, give me a deeper desire for your word. A deeper hunger for your word this morning. There's nothing that will transform our lives more than heeding the word of God. Come on, just say, Lord, give me a heart to obey your word. Hallelujah. The people handled the word, they heeded the word, they heard the word, and they honored the word of God. It led them to mourning. That morning led to joy that joy led to obedience that obedience led to worship and that worship brought forth a mighty revival hallelujah so I'm going to ask you to stand with me we're going to lift our hands this morning we're going to thank the Lord for revival we're going to ask the Lord as we have asked him to give us a hunger for his word we're going to ask the God of revival to come and pour it out to pour out revival come on just say Lord we need revival say Lord I need revival I need revival in my life I need revival in my family I need revival in my community God I need revival in this nation God we need revival we cry out to you for revival God as we become hungry for your word as we uh, begin to heed your word and worship you God of revival come the old Jamaican hymn says, it's coming down, it's coming down. When the glory of the Lord is coming down. When the saints begin to praise and the Lord shall have his way. When the glory of the Lord. Come on, just, just declare that. Say, Lord, oh God, come Lord. Send revival, send revival, send revival. God, we need revival in our souls. We need revival in the church. We need revival in Jamaica. We need revival in our schools, Lord God. Cause us again to have a revival that sends us back to your word. And cause us to worship you in spirit and in truth. 
Real revival, spirit-led revival, Lord God. Not about putting on a show, but where you are glorified and lives are transformed. Revival, Lord. Come on, remember when people used to sing that song, they used to say, it's coming down, it's coming down, 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 down. They didn't feel it, they didn't see it, but they just kept on singing it. Maybe they didn't experience it, but they had a faith to sing the song, though they weren't seeing it. So come on, just lift your hands and begin to say, Lord, it's coming down, it's coming down, it's coming down, Lord God. When the glory of the Lord is coming down, it's coming down, Lord God. Revival is coming. Revival is coming. Revival is coming. Lord, we don't see it, but we believe it. Heavenly revival is coming to our lives. Heavenly revival is coming to this nation. Heavenly revival is coming to our schools. Heavenly revival is coming to our families. It's coming, Lord. It's coming, Lord. It's coming, Lord. As we, your people, heed your word. As we, your people, worship you. It's coming, Lord. Lord, heavenly revival, it's coming, Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, just clap your hands this morning. Hallelujah. We thank you, Lord. 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 Hallelujah. We thank you. We thank you, Lord God. We thank you, Lord God Almighty. We thank you.